Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free. Or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. What's up, y'all? Happy Halloween! Welcome back to another episode of All Right, Let's Talk About It. My name is Savannah. I am your host. I do film reviews and film industry commentary. And this is $2 Tuesday, the series where we talk about movies we haven't talked about before. Well, it is Halloween. So I, don't, I can't think of any other movie that would be better to talk about than Halloween. One of my absolute favorite movies, if I had to create like a top 10 list, I think Halloween would be somewhere in the top seven. Definitely. So we're talking about Halloween, right? John Carpenter's Halloween. I adore him very much. I think he is such an incredible artist of a director, an auteur, so to speak. Very creative. And they had to get very creative with this movie. And we're going to talk about it for a little bit. So this is going to be like a pure geek session. Um, so just sit back and relax and let's let's be nerds together. Quick disclaimer, if I sound a little stuffed up, it's because I am. I'm getting over a little cold and the decongestant is decongesting. It's doing what it's supposed to do and I'm very annoyed with it. And I have plans to go out for Halloween tonight in this cold New Orleans air. And by go out, I mean ride the streetcar to Bourbon Street and just people watch. That's it. That's the extent of it. My partying days are over. But let's talk about this Wonderful movie, Halloween, released in 1978, directed by John Carpenter, stars Donald Pleasance, PJ Souls, Nancy Loomis, Nick Castle as The Shape, and then in her debut, Jamie Lee Curtis. The interesting thing about Jamie Lee Curtis is that she was fixing to give up and move on until she got, you know, this, you know, this movie came knocking on her door and the rest is history. And she's gone on to have a very nice career in the 80s of, you know, she kind of stuck within this stream of trope being a scream queen a bit of a sex symbol and she finally got her oscar after however many years she finally got her oscar this past year for everything everywhere all at once now i was rooting for carrie condon from the banshees of inishirin but jamie lee curtis for me was like a close second well not even that close but like you know close second but this movie here it is the little movie that could this movie has, it's a cultural phenomenon. It has shaped and reshaped and 
kind of been laid as the foundation for this subgenre of horrors, you know, slasher films, babysitter films, um, set precedent in a sense, you know, helped birth a wave of slasher films, Friday the 13th, um, Nightmare on Elm Street. And then you have the uh, Scream, which was also Wes Craven. Wes Craven did Nightmare on Elm Street and he also did Scream, which satirizes this, you know, teen slasher genre, you know, Candyman, the era of the boogeyman, thinking about movies like Golly, um, I Know What You Did Last Summer, Urban Legend, really helped to shape the way we view the boogeyman and the way we view the things that go bump in the night and just morality and the role that it plays in horror movies. Because that was a big deal for this movie is it's kind of a morality play in that we have not so much our characters making decisions, but more so the audience having to decide in a sense and something you have to think about later, what's right and what's wrong, what's okay and what's not. And in this case with um, Halloween, it's, you know, teenage promiscuity, you know, people kind of crack on Jamie's character, Laurie Strode in this movie for being a bit of a prude, you know, book smart and um, doesn't go out a whole lot, doesn't date, but she's the final girl, right? There's a, a trope that, you know, continues the final girl the girl that kind of wins at the end we have you know laurie strode julie james golly who else uh nancy what's her name from friday the 13th not friday the 13th um nightmare on elm street um sydney scream you know the girl who kind of wins in the end in a sense you know conquers all or whatever it is but this movie was a little movie that could it, it was a tiny little thing of a movie no one thought this movie would do what it did so let's let's talk about that. That is this thing always boggles my mind. This is something I've known for a very long time. I've watched the documentary that kind of details this. If you buy the DVD, I'm pretty sure this is one of those extra features. I'm pretty sure you can watch it on YouTube. But if you've never watched kind of the basic behind the scenes for this movie, I highly recommend it. It's just fascinating because again, this movie is a cultural phenomenon. We've seen however many sequels. It's been rebooted, remade, reimagined. It's you know, been an inspiration over what four decades at this point. And it was so small. Budget of somewhere between three hundred thousand and three hundred and twenty five thousand dollars, which in today's time is about one point four million. So incredibly small budget. And it was filmed over twenty days in May nineteen seventy eight and then was released later that year. Literally the little movie that could. Wardrobe. Now we have big movies with fancy wardrobes, custom costumes. Nah, they basically had to thrift a lot of the wardrobe here, whatever they could afford that was inexpensive. The mask for Michael Myers was a Captain Kirk mask that was kind of refashioned the eyes cut out and you know the hair messed up a bit and kind of made white to make that mask you you look at some of this and you think because of how influential it is that it's so that it's something big but it's not it was small you know it's a mustard seed of a movie in a sense and i always find that so fascinating because we have this entire subgenre of horror slasher films. And it started with a film that took 20 days to film on $300,000. Insanity. Maybe I'm a nerd. Maybe I'm a geek. I don't know. But I think it's so cool. But the thing about this movie, as foundational as it is, it has its own foundation. And here's the thing about directors, especially those who are very passionate. They love film and they love film history. And they're always inspired by the directors that came before them. I've talked about this before, but Martin Scorsese, his movie Hugo is an homage to early film history, many much of which has been lost because of the war. 
Well, famously, Halloween is a bit of an homage to some earlier filmmakers. Not too early, but earlier. We're talking maybe a decade or two before. So Orson Welles' Touch of Evil, um, Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho, most notably. You know, that's where Sam Loomis gets his name from, Dr. Sam Loomis. He's named after the boyfriend, Sam Loomis. Who else gets a namesake? Um, Queen of Space Opera, Lee Brackett, is an author. Sheriff Brackett, that's where his name comes from. I believe it's Touch of Evil, where the long, continuous shot in the very beginning is kind of an inspiration for um, from Touch of Evil. So let's talk about some things in this movie that that are so interesting to me. I just want to touch on a couple things because what this movie does is so simple and so easy and so many movies have tried to recreate it and they fail. And yet, even in that failure, they create something brilliant on its own. You know, that's how we got Jason. That's how we got Freddy. But we have at the very beginning this long, continuous shot. It's one shot, and it's so brilliant, and it's beautiful with a hint of touch of evil and also a hint of Psycho. Because remember, in Psycho, we get a bit of the first-person narrative of the knife. So much of this movie is first-person. We see a lot of what's happening through the eyes of Michael Myers, but I'm getting ahead of myself. So we have that first-person narrative before we even see the face of a six-year-old Michael Myers. We see him coming inside the house, grabbing the mask, grabbing the knife, going upstairs to his sister's room, sister who just had sex with her boyfriend, boyfriend already left the house. And she's sitting half naked, brushing her hair. And is like, oh my God, Michael, why are you in here? I mean, she just says, Michael. And then that's when he starts stabbing her. And then he walks downstairs and his parents are like, what is going on? Because, you know, he's in his little clown Halloween costume with the clown mask holding a knife and he's just staring blankly into space. And that's one of two times we see his face in the whole movie at the very beginning and then at the very end. So much of this movie is told from his perspective. And I think that's what makes this movie so scary. From the very beginning, we know who this is. We know what he is. We know what he's capable of. We get a very nice portrait, a very well-rounded picture of Michael Myers from the very beginning. So nothing is, you know, sprung on us. Nothing is unpredictable. It's very predictable. Yet we're dealing with an evil that's incomprehensible. That's, that's we're not able to comprehend. We're not able to understand. Pure evil. That's what Michael Myers is supposed to represent. And that's kind of where this thing ends. That's the thing about Michael Myers that I think always, I always adored because every, you know, horror legend has a reason, you know, Candyman, it's racism. Um, Jason Voorhees, you know, we don't see him until the sequel in the very first movie. Sorry, spoiler alert. It's his mother and, you know, his mom dies at the end. So you know, the rest of the sequels are pretty much revenge for what happened to him as a child and also avenging his mother's death, uh, death, death. And then you have Freddy Krueger, who is getting back at the kids who accused him of doing nasty things to them when they were children, which he did do. Um, Freddy Krueger scares the bejesus out of me, by the way. I've only seen the first movie once and it took me two days to watch it. He terrified me. Absolutely terrifies me. Um, we have Chucky whose sole purpose is trying to get back in human form right before he dies in a shootout in a toy store. He voodoos his spirit into a doll. And so he's trying to get his spirit out of the doll and into a human body and finds out that the only way to do that is to, he has to make that transfer with the first person he revealed his true nature to, which happens to be little Andy, a child, a six year old kid. We have, um, 
uh, Ben Willis from I Know What You Did Last Summer. And his whole reason is avenging what happened to him. You know, he was hit and, you know, they dumped him in the water, didn't realize he was still alive. So he's getting revenge for what was done to him. Scream, Ghostface, you know, we find out it's Stu and Billy and they're getting, We I don't know what Stu's deal was. I think Stu is just a goof who was just along for the ride. but. um Billy Loomis, ah, again, the name Loomis, getting revenge for what happened between his parents, you know, his mother, wait, his father um, slept with Sydney's mom, and that's why his mom left. So they all have a reason, right, as to why they do the things that they do. And I think that makes sense because as normal, regular, everyday human beings who don't have sociopathic or psychopathic tendencies, we want to make sense of why things are the way they are, why people are evil. So having these boogeymen who have reasons, it just makes sense. But that's what makes Michael Myers so special is that he doesn't have a reason. We don't know why he is the way he is. He just is. Now, sequels have tried to make sense of the way he is. We have Halloween 2, which was kind of done reluctantly in a way. John Carpenter thought, hey, I felt like the story ended just fine with the first one. He felt like there wasn't much more to tell. But, you know, they decided to kind of give a reason that Michael Myers came back for his sister. Laurie Strode is his sister. And then you have Halloween 3, which was supposed to just explore the lore of Michael Myers. I've only seen it once and it's just weird. Now you have Halloween 4, 5, and 6. Um, I happen to enjoy those sequels. I think I'm the only person on the planet that actually likes Halloween 6. It's just good. It's fun trash. I use that phrase quite a bit. It's fun trash. And, but Halloween 4, out of all the sequels, is probably my favorite. I really enjoy Halloween 4. But these movies sought to make sense of why Michael Myers is the way he is, make him a part of some sort of satanic cult, and his whole goal is to just end his family line. We had the reimaginings, which showed Michael Myers as a bullied kid who was kind of just bullied into that position. And, you know, that's why he is the way that he is. But then we go back to, you know, Halloween 2018 and then the sequels that followed there, which are all a direct sequel to the very first movie. And we're back to the Michael Myers who just is, who's just evil. And for whatever reason, he's fixated on Laurie. And that's where it gets interesting for me because remember, he's evil. He just is. He, I don't think he killed his sister because he wanted to kill his sister. I think he, there was something in him that just said, I need to kill something. And his sister was there. She was available, ready to go. And she was already sitting down and he was years old and it was easy. Who knows? We don't know. All we know. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. 
Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy to assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. That he was pure evil. There was no curing him. And we get a little bit of this from Dr. Sam Loomis, Donald Pleasance who tries to explain, you know, he met this six-year-old child who was just completely emotionless, devoid of humanity, and he spent some time trying to get through to him and then realized there was no getting through to him, so he spent the rest of the time getting locked away. This is interesting, something I've never thought about before, because the beginning starts right after we get that long, continuous shot of the six-year-old Michael killing his sister. We skip ahead to um, Dr. Sam Loomis and a nurse driving in the car on the way to the hospital because it's they have to transfer Michael to another facility. And I never thought about why until I actually looked at the dates. So this movie starts in 1963 when he's six years old. And then we jump 15 years to 1978. That's 15 years. That means Michael Myers is 21. That makes sense. He was probably at a facility where he, they can only hold him for so long. And now it's time for him to go somewhere else. I don't know. I thought that was interesting. I never thought about it before. And so we get this idea of this this man, this thing, you know, Dr. Sam Loomis refuses to call him anything that would suggest he has humanity. He keeps saying it. The evil is gone. He He's just, he's not human. He's, he's something else. He's something extra. And I think that's what makes him so scary is you don't know why. At least with Candyman, you know why. With Freddy Krueger, you know why. We don't know why. The man is just killing people for reasons we don't understand why and how does Lori strode come into the picture well he sees Lori once he um Lori's father is a real estate agent and i guess they're trying to sell the myers home so on her way to school she drops off a key to put under the mat at the myers home because again they're trying to sell it michael just happens to be in the house steps you know to the front door where she he can't really see her And he's looking through a window and that's when he lays eyes on Laurie Strode for the very first time. Now, what's going through his head? We don't know. All we know is that this man is on a mission. He follows her to school, staring at her through a window. Very infamous shot that's been recreated a couple of times. Halloween um, H2O redid it. I think this was also redone in Scream, if I remember correctly. It's been a while since I've watched the original Scream. 
So very famous shot of her sitting in class, minding her own business, listening to class as she looks out the window very casually, and there he is. But, you know, she can see him from a distance. She can't really tell much about him. Again, remember this mask that's devoid of human features, kind of just blank, very black and very empty. With Nick Castle as the shape, who was so good looking, by the way. Oh my goodness, that was a fine man. I mean, he's still fine, but lordy, he was good looking. Tall and lanky. And, you know, he pops up every now and then. She's walking home and she sees him, you know, standing by a bush. She's in her bedroom. She looks out the window. She sees him in the neighbor's backyard. And he follows her from her home to the kid where she's babysitting. And she's getting a ride from her friend Annie. So they're kind of sort of across the street a bit from one another. And I'm trying to figure out, like, what's going through his head. Because before he goes to Lori, because clearly he's fixated on Lori. But before he even gets to Lori, he kills her friends. He gets rid of Annie and then gets rid of Linda. Lydia, Lydia, Linda, Lydia, I never get her name right. She's the one that says totally all the time. I kind of like her, though, but I can never get her name right. I'm terrible. I know. Linda. Miss PJ Souls. So, you know, kills Linda and Linda's boyfriend, that infamous shot where he like raises him up along the wall and stabs him, leaves him hanging. And then his head tilts to the side. That was totally improvised, by the way. An infamous shot, again, that is that people have tried to recreate and they can't quite get that magic because it was, it wasn't planned. He just did it. Nick Castle, I think, as the shape was just something extra. A lot of people have tried to recreate everything about him, the build, the walk. But if you watch that original movie and you watch the way Michael Myers moves, he moves like a regular man. He gets in the car like a man. He walks across the street like he, everyone I think has tried to portray him not as he is, but the way we perceive him as something otherworldly, as something inhuman. So he has a very inhuman strut, a very determined strut. But homie's just walking regular like he's on a mission, like, Okay, stab, murder, kill. Like, that's it. Very simple. And he eliminates all her friends and then comes for her. And I'm like, why? I wonder, was he offended? The fact that she, you know, he came home. That was his instinct. I wonder, had she never come to the house, would he have gone after her? We only know of one other person that he killed on the way there, which was a man in a truck. He stole his jumpsuit. That's where he gets the black jumpsuit from. Because if you pay attention, when Dr. Sam Lewis is on the phone saying, hey, he's on his way there, he sees the truck with, you know, the hospital gown that was left behind, completely misses the body. But you can see on the car where it says garage. So that's where he gets the black jumpsuit from. And he ends up robbing a hardware store. And that's where he gets the mask. So I wonder. Because it wasn't until he laid eyes on Lori Strode that he started to follow her. The thought of, you know, her being his sister was never a thought for John Carpenter at the time. It was something they came up with for the second movie. And he's never really even liked that plot today. He calls it very silly and kind of foolish. Those are the words that he uses to describe it. He doesn't really quite agree with it. So he was very happy when the 2018 sequel came along and just completely dismissed all those other sequels and just was a direct sequel to the first one. Even made mention of the rumor that, oh, she was his sister and just like, no, that was just something silly, something stupid people made up. They're not related. 
So we never really get a reason as to why. I wonder, maybe he was fixated on her. Maybe he found her attractive. And, you know, you know, murder being his love language, he thought, I'll give her a present. I'll just murder her friends and set them up in a pretty fashion so that when she finds them, she'll be so happy. And then I'll kill her, too, because that's how I show that I love people. You know, I mean, why not? You know, I needed some new clothes to wear. And this guy was so willing to give me his clothes. Not really, but I needed them. And I wanted to thank him, so I killed him. I don't know. Like, why? Was was he offended by the fact that, you know, he came home? That was his instinct after all those years was to just go straight home. Would he have killed her had she not put a key under the mat? I wonder these things. And that tells you how much of a life I really need. But it's so fascinating. This movie is so good. Certain things about this movie that builds tension. So you have that long continuous shot and you really don't know that this is a child until he reaches down and grabs the mask. And you realize that looks like a kid's hand. And then you see his face and you realize that's a little boy, completely devoid of emotion, not crying, just staring blankly into space. And you have a lot of shots that are from his point of view. In a sense, it's not like we're watching through his eyes, but when he's standing outside looking through the window, we're right there with him, which was kind of unusual. For now, I wouldn't say before then, but now we're not seeing a whole lot of movies from the killer's point of view. We're not seeing his vantage point. We're always with the victim or the would-be victim or the final girl seeing things from her perspective. You know, when something jumps around the corner, we're jumping with her. Whereas here in, you know, Halloween, we already know what's behind the corner because we're behind the corner with the psycho killer. I love that's so interesting. We know what's going to happen. We know what this man is capable of. We know what he's going to do. We know these people are in danger and we can't warn them. We can't yell at them to get out the house. We can't yell at them to put some pants on and get in the car. We know what's going to happen. They have no idea. It's such an interesting point of view to kind of see their plight in slow motion. I don't know. I just love it. Want to advertise on this podcast? Check the episode description to see how you can be featured on the next episode. Thank you so much for listening to me geek out about Halloween. John Carpenter's Halloween released in 1978 and stars the now Academy Award winner, Jamie Lee Curtis. What an interesting full circle moment for her. Because she was cast specifically in this movie because of her mother, Janet Lee, who was in Psycho, played Marion Crane. Deborah Hill thought it would be cool to have her in the movie, and so that's one of the reasons why she was cast. Now remember, Jamie Lee Curtis was ready to give up, was ready to just give it all up. But she stuck it out, she said yes, and the rest is absolute history. I love this movie. It's so much fun. It never gets old. It's a classic. It's such an inspiration. And I don't know. I just, I, I love good directors who build off of one another and, and how they always, you know, take inspiration and there's no shame in it. There's no, I did that first. It's always, hey, I did this new thing. Let me try that. I want to see how that works here. And like, I, I love it. I love how even when they're working separately on separate projects, the art of filmmaking is a collaborative effort. And it's it's such a young industry. It has its issues, definitely. 
but it's such a beautiful form of art and I love it so much and Halloween I think is a testament to how much I love it so what's coming up so this is the last day of October I saw eight movies in theaters two of those were re-releases I saw the Hunger Games and I saw um, the birds in theaters for the first time ever that was exciting that was so much fun so what's coming up in the month of November I already have several tickets for the month of November I have my ticket for Priscilla on Thursday. I have a ticket for the Marvels next Thursday. I also have a ticket for a mystery movie next Monday. The 6th AMC is doing something called Screen Unseen. I think Regal does this Mondays typically, but AMC is starting to do this now. I don't have a Regal near me, so I wouldn't know. But I have no idea what the movie is going to be next Monday, but I am highly looking forward to it. Um, I, I don't know. It's, just, it's fun. It's cool. It's five bucks. So I already have my movie for Priscilla, the Marvels. I just got my ticket for uh, the Hunger Games movie, the Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes. I got my ticket for Wish, which I'm actually going to be seeing that weekend. So the movie actually comes out the Wednesday before Thanksgiving. AMC has an early access screening, and I'm going to that on the 18th at like 4 p.m. And I can't wait. I'm so excited. And then I'm also going to get my ticket for Napoleon, whenever that comes in. And then what else? goodness there are a lot of different things coming out the killer is supposed to be the i think it's killer or the killer um david finch michael fassbender movie that's supposed to be coming out relatively soon maestro is supposed to drop in theaters this month i'm hoping 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 that limited release comes somewhere near here but i doubt it it is you know oscar bait movie it is going to be on netflix so i imagine they're just going to screen the movie in la or new york but i am keeping my fingers crossed i would love to see it before it drops on netflix i want to see it in theaters i would much rather see a movie in theaters than streaming that's just me um i'm way too comfortable in my bedroom way too comfortable so yeah much much prefer to watch a movie in theaters as opposed to screaming uh streaming but i imagine that since this is a netflix release you know they're just going to screen it where it needs to be screened in order for it to be eligible for awards and then drop it on Netflix in December, which sucks. But so far, that is the plan for um, November. I still got to get y'all reviews for The Holdovers and Anatomy of a Fall, two movies that are up for Oscar consideration. They're Oscar contenders, I should say. Not so Everything is up for Oscar consideration, but I think these two are going to be Oscar contenders, but I still need to get y'all those reviews. Um, bear with me. I am still a little sick and I'm just trying to just get through the day, but that's what's coming up. And let me know what movies you're going to be seeing in the month of November. Hopefully the strike will be over within the next couple of days. I'm getting aggravated and annoyed. And I've talked a little bit about the frustration that I have with the entire strike in an episode from just a few months ago. So you can go listen to that if you want. But hopefully the strike will be over and when it's over, I will come to TikTok, YouTube and Instagram and I will tell you all about it and I can't wait. Oh my goodness. So I hope you have a happy and safe Halloween. Have an amazing day. Have an amazing night. Have a great week. And I will see you next time. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free 
or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Botox Cosmetic, out botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.